War and Peace, Book Two, Chapter Four, read for LibriVox.org by Anna Simon. The Pavlograd hussars were stationed two miles from Braunau. The squadron in which Nicholas Rostov served as a cadet was quartered in the German village of Salznik. The best quarters in the village were assigned to cavalry captain Denisov, the squadron commander, known throughout the whole cavalry division as Vaska Denisov, cadet Rostov ever since he had overtaken the regiment in Poland, had lived with the squadron commander. On October 11th, the day when all was astir at headquarters over the news of Mack's defeat, the camp life of the officers of this squadron was proceeding as usual. Denisov, who had been losing at cards all night, had not yet come home when Rostov rode back early in the morning from a foraging expedition. Rostov, in his cadet uniform, with a jerk to his horse, rode up to the porch, swung his leg over the saddle with a supple, youthful movement, stood for a moment in the stirrup as if loath to part from his horse, and at last sprang down and called to his orderly. "'Ah, Bondarenko, dear friend,' said he to the hussar, who rushed up headlong to the horse. "'Walk him up and down, my dear fellow,' he continued, with that gay, brotherly cordiality which good-hearted young people show to everyone when they are happy. "'Yes, Your Excellency,' answered the Ukrainian gaily, tossing his head. "'Mind, walk him up and down well.' Another hussar also rushed toward the horse, but Wondarenko had already thrown the reins of the snaffle bridle over the horse's head. It was evident that the cadet was liberal with his tips, and that it paid to serve him. Rostov patted the horse's neck, and then his flank, and lingered for a moment. "'Splendid! What a horse he'll be!' he thought with a smile, and holding up his sabre, his spurs jingling, he ran up the steps of the porch. His landlord, who in a waistcoat and a pointed cap, pitchfork in hand, was clearing manure from the cowhouse, looked out, and his face immediately brightened on seeing Rostov. "'Schon good morgen! Schon good morgen!' he said, winking with a merry smile, evidently pleased to greet the young man. "'Schon fleißig?' said Rostov, with the same gay brotherly smile which did not leave his eager face. "'Hoch Österreicher! Hoch Russen! Kaiser Alexander hoch!' said he, quoting words often repeated by the German landlord. The German laughed, came out of the cowshed, pulled off his cap, and waving it above his head, cried, Und die ganze Welt hoch! Rostov waved his cap above his head like the German, and cried, laughing, Und vivat die ganze Welt! Though neither the German cleaning his cowshed, nor Rostov back with his platoon from foraging for hay, had any reason for rejoicing, they looked at each other with joyful delight and brotherly love, wagged their heads in token of their mutual affection, and parted smiling, the German returning to his cowshed, and Rostov going to the cottage he occupied with Denisov. "'What about your master?' he asked Lavushka, Denisov's orderly, whom all the regiment knew for a rogue. "'Hasn't been in since the evening. Must have been losing,' answered Lavushka. "'I know by now, if he wins he comes back early to brag about it, but if he stays out till morning it means he's lost, and will come back in a rage. Will you have coffee?' "'Yes, bring some.' Ten minutes later, Lavrushka brought the coffee. "'He's coming,' said he. "'Now for trouble.' Rostov looked out of the window and saw Denisov coming home. Denisov was a small man with a red face, sparkling black eyes, and black tousled moustache and hair. He wore an unfastened cloak, wide breeches, hanging down in creases, and a crumpled shako on the back of his head. He came up to the porch gloomily, hanging his head. "'Lavrushka!' he shouted loudly and angrily. "'Take it off, blockhead!' "'Well, I'm taking it off,' replied Lavrushka's voice. "'Ah, you're up already,' said Denisov, entering the room. 
long ago answered rostov i've already been for the hay and have seen fraulein matilde really and i've been losing brother i lost yesterday like a damned fool cried denisov not pronouncing his r's such ill luck such ill luck as soon as you left it began and went on hello there tea puckering up his face though smiling and showing his short strong teeth he began with stubby fingers of both hands to ruffle up his thick tangled black hair and what devil made me go to that what an officer nicknamed the rat he said rubbing his forehead and whole face with both hands just fancy he didn't let me win a single card not one card he took the lighted pipe that was offered to him gripped it in his fist and tapped it on the floor making the sparks fly while he continued to shout he lets one win the singles and collars it as soon as one doubles it gives the singles and snatches the doubles he scattered the burning tobacco smashed the pipe and threw it away then he remained silent for a while and all at once looked cheerfully with his glittering black eyes at rostov if at least we had some women here but there's nothing for one to do but drink if we could only get to fighting soon hello who's there he said turning to the door as he heard a tread of heavy boots and the clinking of spurs that came to a stop and a respectful cough the squadron quartermaster said lavrushka denisov's face puckered still more wretched he muttered throwing down a purse with some gold in it wostov dear fellow just see how much there is left and shove the purse under the pillow he said and went out to the quartermaster Rostov took the money, and, mechanically arranging the old and new coins in separate piles, began counting them. "'Ah, Telyanin, how do you do? They plucked me last night,' came Denisov's voice from the next room. "'Where? At Baikos? At the Rats? I knew it,' replied a piping voice, and Lieutenant Telyanin, a small officer of the same squadron, entered the room. Rostov thrust the purse under the pillow and shook the damp little hand which was offered him. Talyanin, for some reason, had been transferred from the guards just before this campaign. He behaved very well in the regiment, but was not liked. Rostov especially detested him, and was unable to overcome or conceal his groundless antipathy to the man. "'Well, young cavalryman, how is my Rook behaving?' he asked. Rook was a young horse Talyanin had sold to Rostov. The lieutenant never looked the man he was speaking to straight in the face. His eyes continually wandered from one object to another." "'I saw your riding this morning,' he added. "'Oh, he's all right, a good horse,' answered Rostov, though the horse for which he had paid seven hundred roubles was not worth half that sum. "'He's begun to go a little lame on the left foreleg,' he added. "'The hoof's cracked. That's nothing. I'll teach you what to do and show you what kind of rivet to use.' "'Yes, please do,' said Rostov. "'I'll show you, I'll show you. It's not a secret, and it's a horse you'll thank me for.' "'Then I'll have it brought round,' said Rostov, wishing to avoid Talyanin and he went out to give the order. In the passage Denisov, with a pipe, was squatting on the threshold, facing the quartermaster who was reporting to him. On seeing Rostov, Denisov screwed up his face, and pointing over his shoulder with his thumb to the room where Talyanin was sitting, he frowned and gave a shudder of disgust. "'Ah! I don't like that fellow,' he said, regardless of the quartermaster's presence. Rostov shrugged his shoulders, as much as to say, "'Nor do I, but what's one to do?' And, having given his order, he returned to Talyanin. Talyanin was sitting in the same indolent pose in which Rostov had left him, rubbing his small white hands. "'Well, there certainly are disgusting people,' thought Rostov as he entered. "'Have you told them to bring the horse?' asked Talyanin, getting up and looking carelessly about him. "'I have.' 
Let us go ourselves. I only came round to ask Denisov about yesterday's order. Have you got it, Denisov? Not yet. But where are you off to? I want to teach this young man how to shoe a horse, said Telyanin. They went through the porch and into the stable. The lieutenant explained how to rivet the hoof and went away to his own quarters. When Rostov went back, there was a bottle of vodka and a sausage on the table. Denisov was sitting there, scratching with his pen on a sheet of paper. He looked gloomily in Rostov's face and said, "'I'm writing to her.' He leaned his elbows on the table with his pen in his hand and, evidently glad of a chance to say quicker in words what he wanted to write, told Rostov the contents of his letter. "'You see, my friend,' he said, "'we sleep when we don't love. We are children of the dust. But one falls in love, and one is a god. One is poor, as on the first day of creation.' "'Who's that now?' "'Send him to the devil. I'm busy!' he shouted to Lavrushka, who went up to him not in the least abashed. "'Who should it be? You yourself told him to come. It's the quartermaster for the money.' Denisov frowned and was about to shout some reply, but stopped. "'Wretched business!' he muttered to himself. "'How much is left in the purse?' he asked, returning to Rostov. Seven new and three old imperials.' "'Oh, it's wretched. Well, what are you standing there for, you scarecrow?' "'Call the quartermaster,' he shouted to Lavrushka. "'Please, Denisov, let me lend you some. I have some, you know,' said Rostov, blushing. "'Don't like bowing for my own fellows, I don't,' growled Denisov. "'But if you won't accept money from me like a comrade, you will offend me. Really, I have some,' Rostov repeated. "'No, I tell you.' And Denisov went to the bed to get the purse from under the pillow. "'Where have you put it, Rostov?' "'Under the lower pillow.' "'It's not there.' Denisov threw both pillows on the floor. The purse was not there. "'That's a miracle!' "'Wait, haven't you dropped it?' said Rostov, picking up the pillows one at a time and shaking them. He pulled off the quilt and shook it. The purse was not there. "'Dear me, can I have forgotten?' "'No, I remember thinking that you kept it under your head like a treasure,' said Rostov. "'I put it just here.' "'Where is it?' he asked, turning to Lavrushka. "'I haven't been in the room. It must be where you put it.' "'But it isn't.' "'You're always like that. You throw a thing down anywhere and forget it. Feel in your pockets.' "'No, if I hadn't thought of it being a treasure,' said Rostov. "'But I remember putting it there.' Lavrushka turned all the bedding over, looked under the bed and under the table, searched everywhere, and stood still in the middle of the room. Denisov silently watched Lavrushka's movements, and when the latter threw up his arms in surprise, saying it was nowhere to be found, Denisov glanced at Rostov. Rostov, you've not been playing schoolboy tricks. Rostov felt Denisov's gaze fixed on him, raised his eyes, and instantly dropped them again. All the blood which had seemed congested somewhere below his throat rushed to his face and eyes. He could not draw breath. And there hasn't been anyone in the room except the lieutenant and yourselves. It must be here somewhere, said Lavrushka. Now then, you devil's puppet, look alive and hunt for it, shouted Denisov, suddenly turning purple and rushing at the man with a threatening gesture. "'If the purse isn't found, I'll flog you. I'll flog you all!' Rostov, his eyes avoiding Denisov, began buttoning his coat, buckled on his sabre, and put on his cap. "'I must have that purse, I tell you!' shouted Denisov, shaking his orderly by the shoulders and knocking him against the wall. "'Denisov, let him alone. I know who has taken it,' said Rostov, going toward the door without raising his eyes. Denisov paused thought a moment, and, evidently understanding what Rostov hinted at, seized his arm. "'Nonsense!' 
he cried, and the veins on his forehead and neck stood out like cords. "'You're mad, I tell you. I won't allow it. The purse is here. I'll flay this scoundrel alive, and it will be found.' "'I know who has taken it,' repeated Rostov, in an unsteady voice, and went to the door. "'And I tell you, don't you dare to do it!' shouted Denisov, rushing at the cadet to restrain him. But Rostov pulled away his arm, and, with as much anger as though Denisov were his worst enemy, firmly fixed his eyes directly on his face. "'Do you understand what you're saying?' he said in a trembling voice. "'There was no one else in the room except myself. So that, if it is not so, then—' He could not finish, and ran out of the room. "'Ah! May the devil take you and everybody!' were the last words Rostov heard. Rostov went to Telyanin's quarters. "'The master's not in. He's gone to headquarters,' said Telyanin's orderly. "'Has something happened?' he added, surprised at the cadet's troubled face. "'No, nothing.' "'You've only just missed him,' said the orderly. The headquarters were situated two miles away from Saltzenek, and Rostov, without returning home, took a horse and rode there. There was an inn in the village which the officers frequented. Rostov rode up to it, and saw Telyanin's horse at the porch. In the second room of the inn, the lieutenant was sitting over a dish of sausages and a bottle of wine. "'Ah, you've come here too, young man,' he said, smiling and raising his eyebrows. "'Yes,' said Rostov, as if it cost him a great deal to utter the word, and he sat down at the nearest table. Both were silent. There were two Germans and a Russian officer in the room. No one spoke, and the only sounds heard were the clatter of knives and the munching of the lieutenant. When Talyanin had finished his lunch, he took out of his pocket a double purse, and, drawing its rings aside with his small, wide, turned-up fingers, drew out a gold imperial, and, lifting his eyebrows, gave it to the waiter. "'Please be quick,' he said. The coin was a new one. Rostov rose and went up to Talyanin. "'Allow me to look at your purse,' he said in a low, almost inaudible voice. With shifting eyes but eyebrows still raised, Talyanin handed him the purse. "'Yes, it's a nice purse. Yes, yes,' he said, growing suddenly pale, and added, "'Look at it, young man.' Rostov took the purse in his hand, examined it, and the money in it, and looked at Talyanin. The lieutenant was looking about in his usual way, and suddenly seemed to grow very merry. "'If we get to Vienna, I'll get rid of it there, but in these wretched little towns there's nowhere to spend it,' said he. "'Well, let me have it, young man. I'm going.' Rostov did not speak." "'And you? Are you going to have lunch, too? They feed you quite decently here,' continued Talyanin. "'Now, then, let me have it.' He stretched out his hand to take hold of the purse. Rostov let go of it. Talyanin took the purse, and began carelessly slipping it into the pocket of his riding-breeches, with his eyebrows lifted and his mouth slightly open, as if to say, "'Yes, yes, I am putting my purse in my pocket, and that's quite simple, and it's no one else's business.' "'Well, young man,' he said, with a sigh, and from under his lifted brows he glanced into Rostov's eyes. Some flash as of an electric spark shot from Talyanin's eyes to Rostov's, and back, and back again and again in an instant. "'Come here,' said Rostov, catching hold of Talyanin's arm, and almost dragging him to the window. "'That money is Denisov's. You took it,' he whispered just above Talyanin's ear. "'What? What? How dare you? What?' said Talyanin. But these words came like a piteous, despairing cry and an entreaty for pardon. As soon as Rostov heard them, an enormous load of doubt fell from him. He was glad, and at the same instant began to pity the miserable man who stood before him, 
that the task he had begun had to be completed. "'Heaven only knows what the people here may imagine,' muttered Talianin, taking up his cap and moving toward a small empty room. "'We must have an explanation.' "'I know it and shall prove it,' said Rostov. "'I—' Every muscle of Talianin's pale, terrified face began to quiver. His eyes still shifted from side to side, but with the downward look not rising to Rostov's face, and his sobs were audible. "'Count! Don't ruin a young fellow! Here is this wretched money! Take it!' He threw it on the table. "'I have an old father and mother!' Rostov took the money, avoiding Talianin's eyes, and went out of the room without a word. But at the door he stopped and then retraced his steps. "'Oh, God!' he said with tears in his eyes. "'How could you do it?' "'Count,' said Talianin, drawing nearer to him. "'Don't touch me,' said Rostov, drawing back. "'If you need it, take the money.' And he threw the purse to him and ran out of the inn. End of chapter 4